I'm Brandon Bartnick, and this is the Future of Mobility Podcast. The Future of Mobility Podcast is focused on the pursuit of safe, sustainable, effective, and accessible transportation of goods and people. Given the critical nature of the world's climate and energy needs, these topics have never been more important, and they're certainly important to me. So, this podcast is a weekly interview series in which I learn from and put the spotlight on the people helping to develop and implement the technology required to move us forward. Who am I? As mentioned, my name is Brandon Bartnick, and I'm an engineer who realized that making a positive impact is the most important thing to me, both through this podcast and my career in the industry. If you're passionate about any of the topics I cover here, please feel free to reach out on LinkedIn or Twitter. I'd love to connect. Also, if you hear anything you like, please consider sharing the future mobility with a friend or colleague. This podcast is brought to you by Edison Manufacturing and Engineering. Technology innovation is great, but it doesn't mean anything if we can't bring our impactful products to life, which means we have to build them. And unfortunately, that's easier said than done, especially for startups and evolving companies that need a reliable option for low volume builds. That's where we come in. Edison is your turnkey manufacturing partner, specializing in build and assembly of highly complex products in annual volumes of 10 to tens of thousands, utilizing an agile and capital light approach. If you need a trusted manufacturing partner, then please visit us at edison-mfg.com or feel free to reach out to me directly at brandon.bartnick at edison-mfg.com or by visiting my LinkedIn page, Brandon Bartnick. Now to this week's episode. Today I'm joined by a repeat guest, Daniel Burrell. Daniel's co-founder and CEO at ReAutomotive. He previously joined episode 108 of the Future Mobility Podcast. If you haven't listened, I recommend checking it out. And if you aren't familiar with three, they're doing really cool work in the electrification space. They have the innovative recorner, which is a integrated component with critical vehicle components of steering, braking, suspension, powertrain, and control into a single compact module that's between the chassis and the wheel. And we have the recorner. They have P7 vehicle that they're launching and we talk in depth about some some of the stuff and um, have some good momentum. But ultimately, what we're talking about here is the evolution. Right, and Re was doing cool stuff back a year and a half ago when we talked. Now revisiting late 2023, wanted to talk with Daniel about how things have changed, how they've progressed, how they've overcome some of the challenges that have come up. Some of them within their core scope is control. So several others. Not, I mean, market conditions, wars, things like this definitely not in Ree's control. And how has Daniel and Ree thought about this, approach these situations, and come out as we speak with seemingly a lot of momentum with a vehicle launch coming up and in great shape going forward? So um, fun discussion. Please enjoy this conversation with Daniel Burrell. Today I'm joined for a round two interview with Daniel Burrell. Daniel, thanks for coming on the podcast. Hey, Bresson, thanks for having me again. Yeah, great to, uh, great, great to have you. So episode 108 um, was, your, was your first appearance uh, in 2021, and now this will be closer to like episode 190 or so. Um, and it's yeah, great, great, to, great to have wow. you back. I mean, to, I think I, had, I really enjoyed the last discussion. I think it's cool the work that Ree's doing, the approach that you have in this electrification space, the way you guys are thinking about your business model and the product and the recorner and all, all that. Um, would you mind, I guess, just first, first, if, if someone hasn't listened yet, I recommend go back to episode 108. Assuming someone, though, doesn't have background on, on Reed, Daniel, would you mind uh, just giving kind of the, the high-level overview of what you guys are doing? 
Yeah, of course, of course. Uh, so first of all, thank you for everybody for joining. Uh, what RE, RE Automotive is doing, we, we are an automotive technology company. So we're a tech company in, in the automotive world. And what we're doing is we're modernizing the mobility industry by creating vehicles that are cleaner, smarter, and customized uh, to the needs of our customers, uh, which are the dealers or the fleets. Um, we do this through our core technology called the RE Corner, uh, which packs steering, braking, suspension, powertrain, and control into a single compact module which is positioned between the chassis and the wheel. Um, well, at least to the best of my knowledge, uh, we're the first one to ever fully certify a, a fully by wire uh, system uh, in the commercial world. Um, we control all the vehicle attributes through software. It's a software-driven vehicle. So all the drive, steer, brake, all that is controlled through our uh, by wire technology. Um, First application that we're bringing into the market is, is a class three to five cab chassis. Uh, we call them uh, the P7, P7C for cab. Um, and um, it's going to hit the market within weeks from now. By the end of this year, we're planning to do our first deliveries to our customers uh, in, in North America. Um, purely EV, um, revolutionary technology, software based. Um, that's what we do. Cool. Yeah. And I mean, if I can put it super simple, like it, it feels like, right, there's been multiple developments in, in the mobility space, electrification being a piece of it, but obviously um, d digitalization by wire system have, have improved control systems. Like this feels to, to me like the, the approach that's taken by re and the integration of these four independent three corners that work well together and are integrated into a vehicle feels like the way you should build a vehicle if you could you know zoom out question the or remove the assumptions of how vehicles used to be built and the, the traditional chassis approach and apply what technology exists today to building a new vehicle from the ground up well i'm biased but i could not agree with you more right i mean the, the whole idea of by wire technology is that because it's software driven there are no mechanical connection between those corners there, there's no mechanical connection between the wheels and that allows us basically to come with a brand new approach of how a vehicle should be designed from the ground up, exactly like you said, without the uh, historical constraints, if you'd like, of, of traditional thinking of automotive. Um, it allows us to build vehicles in different shapes and sizes much faster than probably everybody else on the market because, simply put, we just place the corners, the wheels, anywhere we want in space and build a truck around them. But those corners are mainly the truck. And the so, so P7 you mentioned, this is so a lot of the discussion that we had last time around, place yourself, you know, early ish 2021, about a year and a half ago. Um, and we talked around this idea of one, your game theory background and how the you, the founders and you guys came together and came up with the idea of like, let's let's not compete with the big players in the space. Let's, let's develop a technology that completes this and ultimately serves the electrification ecosystem in a way that you know, everyone, everyone can benefit and how how have things progressed since then and how have you paired kind of that philosophical idea with the reality of like hey we, we now need to get something to market and begin generating revenue and selling a product and what, what's, what's kind of the story and how things have taken place since since we last spoke well a lot have happened in the past what 18 months or so uh, since we last spoke um we completed our our uh, integration center which is behind me 
uh, a menu robotic, highly automated production line that has a capacity of uh, up to uh, 40,000 corners a year, 10,000 vehicle sets uh, with only seven operators on the line. It's, it's honestly hmm. quite, quite cool what we're doing over there. Um, so we build a production capacity with um, advancing the development of the vehicle all the way up to the fact that we're in the final, final stages of completing our certification for FMVSS in the US. So we already have EPA. Uh, we already pre-certify all of our biowire systems uh, almost six months ago. Uh, and by the end of this year, we'll be hoping to be fully certified uh, vehicle, the first ever by wire, full by wire drive steer brake um, to be certified in the US. Um, on top of that, we've started to receive orders. We started receiving orders in about a year, for a year now. Uh, and we've seen huge demand for, for our trucks. We recently announced that we more than doubled our binding orders uh, and our order book value. Um, um, in just a quarter, uh, and we're going to start be producing and delivering vehicles. We already start producing. We're going to be delivering our first trucks uh, by the end of this year. Um, now, to, to your second question about what, how the complete not compete works when you bring in a new truck to the market, right? Naturally, we essentially right. The, I would say our core competence or, or competitive advantages by wire in the corners. But I think we've seen many players, not many, but quite a few players doing what we're doing now, which is accelerating the market. Um, a good example probably would be Android or phones. If you remember back in the day, uh, when uh, Google wanted to come in into the uh, mobile market, there's been Palm, there's been you know BlackBerry, Apple, and all these guys, and and um, they started by bringing in the uh, Nexus series. That was a flagship software hardware, best of its breed. It, it, it was amazing. Slowly later on, gradually they started to give slightly less advanced versions to, to other OEMs or OEs, right? Like, like the Samsung and HTC and all these guys. Where up to today, they're concentrating mainly on, on software and they're the largest in, in, in the world as operating system for, for mobile phones. It's very similar to us in a sense that if we were to bring uh, uh, biowire technology only to the OEMs in the world, um, they experienced time differently. It would have taken years if not more for, for anything to happen and, and it's not their fault they're just experiencing time differently so what we're doing is we're we're, we're expediting things we're starting by putting a full truck and by putting a full truck we're doing the cab we're doing the chassis and of course the corners and all that that's great later on anybody who wants to use our chassis they're more than happy to give them the just a chassis for them to put a cab on it or or like what's behind me a full a full walk-in van and whatever you want to build on top of that. And once uh, they get mature enough to also do the chassis, uh, the electric chassis, we'll be more than happy to do that. The only thing is that we have to make sure that the safety, quality, and durability remains intact when we, you know, let go of some of what we do. So I think we're still completely completing and not competing um, but we're making sure that everybody is running in a good pace. 
Yeah, and I mean, if I can correct me, the spots here, I get wrong, but it sounds like the the core innovation and the IP and the differentiator is in this recorner, and it's the way this is designed and can be integrated into a vehicle. You're ultimately, you're good with, you know, a few years from now, if your model is you're just selling a bunch of recorners and that those are being integrated, but for now, you're providing a vehicle, and maybe you'll provide a vehicle long-term, but at the minimum, for right now, this is the right solution because you're able to serve a market need while also proving out the technology and yeah, pr- providing product in a meaningful way that maybe it'd be hard to get to the market so quickly if you relied only on the OEM path. Yeah, and, and, and I think we, we just saw that another major OEM uh, cut in half their EV production capacity for next year. So the idea is that we started this, Brandon, right? You remember my co-founder, I started this because back then, 10 years ago, electrification was not a matter of, of, of when, it was a matter of if. And we wanted to cement the when. And there's no reason to, to slow down now. There's so much demand for commercial electric trucks in North America and other places around the world, especially now that other places, uh, speaking about completing, not competing, uh, other players have solved a lot of the charging and the infrastructure challenges that have have been, you know, um, burdening some of, of the electrification efforts. So now that the, the fleets have the ability to go all the way up to, you know, three megawatts of charge per, per depot in modular approaches and, and charging becomes more accessible and the incentives are high, I, I think it's it's not it's not the opportunity, it's our obligation almost to bring as many electric trucks to the market as possible and the rest should follow. Yeah, it seems like a, a common theme I hear is that, you know, the, the big fleet players, I don't I understand the U.S. market better, so it's probably others, but like at least in the U.S., the big fleet players are eager to have a vehicle or a fleet of vehicles that they can deploy at scale and they can electrify their fleets just that the demand or the supply so far hasn't been there so it's not necessarily a question of is there people who are going to buy and deploy it's just that's time to provide really good vehicles that can be introduced to this ecosystem and and i think the emphasis now is on the last part of your sentence really good i think we've seen we've been seeing for a while now a preference shift in in customer taste or customer acceptance to not great product so there's been a lot of a lot of a lot of um offering in the past couple years with uh you know first movers that brought product that were not fully mature uh and that was great to a certain point but it's different to own a Tesla with some features less bugs and owning a commercial fleet where downtime is the only thing or more, one of the most important things for you because the vehicle is not for leisure it's, it's for making money mm-hmm. and, and, and I think we see a lot of change in tolerances now where the large fleets, I don't know necessarily for the smaller fleet but for the large fleets they say hey let's first make sure that this product not only works but works well yeah, it makes makes sense. And how how about the uh, the 
organizational mindset shift. I'd be curious to get your thoughts. So the, and a quick, quick backstory, right? So like in my day job, we work with a lot of companies going from the transition from proof of concept in, into production as their production partner. And, and a common thing we see is that software founders or software product focused companies don't appreciate what goes into manufacturing. And they apply this as a bolt-on solution, thinking that you can just figure that out later. And they don't realize, well, one, you should have designed the product different. Two, supply chain isn't something that you just figure out later. It's something that you, from the beginning, you need to be thinking about who's going to be building certain aspects and how you're setting this up. And I'd be curious, though, because like this is a, there's elements of this, but also in the shift that re teams to be making, but also it's not entirely that way, right? So like, you've always been a product company, you were always going to manufacture recorners. So of course, that DNA had to be in the company to be able to build. But so, so I, I, is, is there a noticeable shift in your perspective, as you shift towards like, yes, realizing that the recorners from a DFM DFA perspective and supply chain, it's always been important that we build this and with manufacturing in mind, now shifting to a vehicle perspective, how, how has that internal kind of uh, strategy and philosophy shift taken place if there has been one? It's a good question. So it's not only DFM, DFM. It's it's also VNV, right? It, it's all about how you move to scale production. But more importantly, what is scale production? And I think this is what we need to tap on first. Uh, the adaptation rate for EVs will be gradual, especially in commercial fleets. They have to test it first. They have to feel comfortable. There's still a bottleneck of uh, service and infrastructure. It, it Nobody... Is gonna you know wake up one day and order hundreds of thousands of trucks, except if it's Amazon and they did it once, right? So, the, the, what we've done uh, for the past few years is that we've developed a very unique production methodology and production capacity that is actually targeting low scale. We're so much focused on being able to grow through orders and not needing to see the, uh, you know, a, a significant ramp up that we're targeting to be at uh, material or even cogs break even on the first production batch. That's never been done in auto before, even not in, 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 in you know, uh, the luxury segment. Uh, we've built our, our, our technology and the design for manufacturing from the, from the basis in order exactly to allow us to, to target uh, COGS parity from the first batch and, and a positive marginal contribution uh, at the bottom line from a few quarters after that. All that with significant low volumes. When I mean significant, we're talking about the first batch of somewhere around 300, 150 to 300 trucks that's 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 not even pre-production in 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 passenger vehicle right it's it's not even pipa um and and by going to the low thousands of trucks per year which is essentially more or less the same rate if you think about it like a few low hundreds per quarter a few low thousands per per year more or less we're already at the ebitda level profitable and the way we've done it is that we've completely redesigned production as well and patented that technology to do so. Uh, the integration center, the, how the vehicle works, how the supply chain is built, the redundancies around it, and so on and so forth. 
So to, to, to your question, my answer is we've absolutely taken into account manufacturing because we had to. Now, you also mentioned a very important point. A lot of tech companies, software-oriented in particular, forget or, or neglect to understand that the production is not that straightforward. So what we've done is in the past few years, we've built a very capable engineering house here in the UK and production in the US from guys who have done this throughout their entire life, but not in the traditional manner. How do you find, yeah, that's, that's interesting. So when you say not in the traditional manner, what do you mean? So, I mean, our, our, our COO, Josh, comes from uh, Tesla, where he launched Model 3 and, and BMW, right? Uh, you, you can find guys from us at, at our production or engineering coming from companies like Tesla or Lotus or uh, Apple or, you know, companies mm -hmm. that think differently. Yes, you can always find those, of course, very important people and capable, knowledgeable coming from GM and others, but, but the majority of them actually don't come from the big OEMs because the methodology is not right for us. And how do you deal with, so one of, one of the core beliefs I, I still have is that there's a lot of uncertainty within this ecosystem. So there's in, in many different aspects, you know, it's been developing the technology. Now it's timelines for that technology to be certified and proven and be able to be manufactured at scale is also implementation and how well companies are going to be able to uptake the technology, their supply chain stuff. None of these by themselves are necessarily huge disruptors but when you look at the variability on each of these you, you have a decent amount of yeah. stacked up complexity and uncertainty in the system and so one of my core beliefs is like well in a situation like that you should try to mitigate risk by being capital efficient which i think comes comes up from what you're saying and buy yourself time to make the big bets but this is a there's two sides of this because especially as a venture-backed company eventually you need to build a certain scale to be able to pay back investors and so how have you been able to ma navigate this space and come out with a you know a cost optimized efficient approach while also dealing with the other side of like there needs to be significant upside on at some time for this to make sense for investors and the existing kind of community i think uh, three things one as i said earlier we're, we're targeting low capacity production so we're not digging our own grave in the sense that in, in the first few batches or the first few years, we'll be losing money per vehicle, hoping for the, an uptake. And that mm -hmm. takes a lot of that risk off the table, right? Because you never know when the uptake is going to happen. Uh, so being uh, at Cog's break-even at, at the first batch or so is really important because it means you're not losing money on, on a vehicle. You're not making money, but you're not losing money. So from here, you can only make money. That's, that's a great point to be at. That, mm -hmm. That's fine. Second is choosing the right market. So the class three to five in North America is the most growing commercial market. And it's the most incentivized, right? So if an average truck in that segment, an EV would cost about around $150,000, you can get somewhere between $40,000 to $140,000 back through tax incentives. 
both federal and, and state. So that's a really strong uh, drive for, for a lot of people to electrify. Uh, and, and, and that market translates into uh, numbers. So we're targeting more or less a single uh, digit penetration rate between today and 2026. That's all. That single uh, digit uh, um, penetration rate from our total addressable market in the U.S. accumulates to a billion dollars in revenue between today and 2026. And third, you have to run a tight ship. Our last earning call, we 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 shared with everybody that we cut our um, uh, our expenses compared to the uh, to last year by 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 quarter. That's a lot. Hmm. So you preserve cash, you work very tight, very agile, but you you understand that. Uh, let me put it this way. We are very risk averse in how we grow. We don't need to sell hundreds of thousands of tens of thousands of trucks to get to a billion. We don't have to get to a billion order to go to break even. From the first batch, we're not losing money. And by continuing that more or less rate of production and ramping up slowly, we're getting safely to making quite a lot of money for our shareholders. That, yeah, that's, think, that's our plan. Yeah, I think that, that framework makes makes sense and I appreciate you, you breaking that down. And I, I think maybe, I think an adjacent question. So again, doing this kind of comparison back to when we talked uh, about 18 months ago or so, how, how have you think, how do you think you have personally grown and evolved as a leader during, during this process and the way that you think about running this company? Oh man, uh, <laughs> I mean, it's, Let's think what we've had in the past 18 months. So we've had a pandemic. We have, put it mildly, challenging market conditions. Um, we're now facing war in Israel, and we've got a big presence in Israel. Um, and we're still on track to deliver. And you can't do it without, you know, growing, learning becoming better every day. Not not me personally, but everybody at every. Um, when the pandemic started, you have to adjust. When the market changed and the access to capital changed, you have to adjust, right? So there's been very tough to um, raise money in, in, in the current atmosphere. But just a few weeks ago, when we reported our uh, Q3 earning, we shared that we, we raised... Um, very friendly money uh, at a high premium to the market where usually you, you raise at a significant discount to the market, right? And, and, mm-hmm. and it shows our ability to, to access friendly cash. Um, with the war in Israel, we've been, of course, taking care of our people, but also allocating and restructuring in a sense that we, the, the, the operation will not be affected significantly and will be delivering uh, to our customers, so so much has happened in the past eighteen months that I don't think—at least I did never think I would experience either of the three, if not all of them. And that's on top of the day-to-day challenges of running a company 
and yeah. and building trucks you know i mean um just have and to wake how, up go to sleep but, and wake up better yeah and, and obviously those those three examples you gave weren't the first time that you faced adversity it's just the most <laughs> recent three that have been Im- impactful but how has how has your response evolved over over time so like my I'm newer in the, I'm less than a year into running a company. And the first time something significant came up, I responded one way. Most recently, something significant came up and like, I don't think my Apple watch would have detected a change in heart rate. Cause I'm like, well, yeah, this, this is unfortunate. I wish this hadn't happened, but I've done this before. I know how to handle it. Like there's, it's there's stuff that we're going to fix. So like, how, how have you changed in the way that you respond to bad news and what what is kind of the steps look like for you to interpret what's going like the war in Israel? So most recently, like how, what what process did you go through? What steps did you take to try to assess that situation and figure out how to respond? I think what the way we work is we make sure that we f- we do the following. We always always lead by example. We always I always ask more of myself than I would ask from everybody else. And every time there is a situation or a crisis or whatever to deal with, you have to keep the emotions out of the room. You have to keep the doomsdays and theories out of the room. You have to stick to the facts. You have to start peeling that onion until you get to the core fact. And once you've done this, you try to solve it. If you can't solve it, you start dicing it to smaller pieces until you can solve those. And that's what we do. For every piece we can't solve, we just keep on dicing it down. Up, sorry, and, 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 and cutting it to smaller, smaller pieces until you, you're able to solve all of the puzzles. Um, and, and I think our biggest strength is that we're, we're, hey, we're flat as a pancake in terms of a company. There's no, there's no hierarchy. There's never been. Um, we all, almost always make decisions as a group. So the circuit sauce is having the best people around you. Um, that it's not that you, you, you consult with, you work with, you're sitting mm-hmm. around a table together. And you, you, you hammer it down until you find a solution. And, and you never stop. That's the last thing. You never, ever, ever stop. And do you think there's any fundamental shifts or growth that are... So you're, as you're delivering these units and you're growing into production next, next year, even in, in the low volume space, you're shifting from being a company that has developed this really cool technology to a company that is selling and manufacturing having manufactured manufacturing and applying this technology do you think there's a culture any organizational shift or how are you thinking about that as a leader for what what the company needs in the next phase Mm. I, I, i think you need to build different muscles and different capabilities as you move along Right. So now in the production phase, you need to think about not only production, but service, support, um, maintenance, uh, and things that you've never done before. Right. 
Um, you do different type of marketing, you do different type of sales and so on and so forth. That's important. But it doesn't change the DNA. The DNA is who you are. What, what kind of, you know, creature you are. Um, and I never want our DNA to change in that aspect. Yes, you mm-hmm. bring in new people, new capabilities, but, but you, you, you create together with them new functionality and new capability, but it's still your, your DNA. You know I mean? It's, it's, it's what makes us special in my view. Yeah, next, I, I was going to make the connection. So like when you were describing how you thought about crisis response, like I, I heard, sorry, right, I've spent more time like on production floors than, and that's what we do. But like you were describing problem definition, and the eight step, so like eight step problem solving method is often used in a manufacturing setting. Something goes wrong, you work to one fi- root cause, figure out what's going on, come up with some type of corrective action, and move. And like it's you're talking about different things, right? Like the, the way you're responding to a war that's breaking out is diff- is like that's a different thing than a assembly process that's not performing the way it should. But like the underlying yeah, so- problem solving method and philosophy is the same, right? Yeah, so, so when the war broke on a Saturday, naturally the first thing you see is you, you do is making sure that everybody's safe and thank God they're all safe. Um, and then you start to assess what's going on. And, and then some people are being drafted or their or family members have been drafted, spouses, kids, etc. Uh, and then you start supporting them and see if they need anything and, and you try to help. And then you try to help those you don't know within the country. Uh, and, 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 and you make sure that you're supporting and helping. And then you go and see, okay, what, what are the adjustments I need to do now in order to keep things going? Where, where, where have gaps now in, in, in the processes with all that? And you try to address one after the other. And there is no magic solution. You go like, okay, that solves it all or, or whatever. I don't believe in magic solutions. I don't also believe in, in replicating what I've done before because it's not necessarily going to work. So, so, so the idea is assess exactly and then figure out how to solve it with the minimum effort, steps, and time. That's the challenge because usually there's more of one way. Usually there's more than one way to solve something. So always have a backup to the backup, but try to be as efficient and as 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 effective as possible in solving it. That's that's always our approach to anything. Um, you know, it's it's. <laughs> I think it's what makes us who we are. It's that DNA of 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 the people around the retable that that every time there is something, we sit together, we look each other in the eye, and that that's every time that happens, and we go like, "We'll figure it out." We we always have, we will always will. How? Don't know, but yeah. we'll sort it out. There, there's no other way, right? There's, there's no other option. Yeah, and I mean, this is overly simplified, but it sounds like it's that comes from one obviously leading by example in the way that you and the leadership team behaves. Also, the 
way in which you found the best people that you can in all the key positions and then the way in which you are executing on a date right so like if you're if you're micromanaging and if you're making all of the decisions on a daily basis and then something comes up and you suddenly try to empower someone to make decisions like that that doesn't work right like it's got to be the the core operating principle is this distributed leadership and trust that then you're just ramping it up and you're applying it to a new area exactly it's all about the trust we trust that everybody got everybody's back and then we move together as a group and by the way sometimes some of us are more challenged or or, or mm-hmm. are, are you know slower than others in moving faster so the rest will help yeah and appreciate the the diversion there i mean yeah it, obviously very important topic and i wish the best for everyone um in in that area thank and, you um but yeah i think it's 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 not digging into and thinking about yeah obviously how how you've built re and how you're how you're growing re and i guess maybe as we transition and wrap up here um is there anything so right we we talked about where the company you're at an exciting spot as a, as a company right you got the despite all of these challenges that we talked about you have order book climbing you have deliveries coming you have a product that's certified and ready and you're, you're building some and it's it's going to be hitting the, the u.s market um What's what's the takeaway that you're hoping someone listening to this uh, comes away from this conversation thinking about? It's always longer and far more excruciating than you think. I think that's that's the honest truth. Um, regardless how many times you've done this before, um, nothing. Okay, I'll speak for myself. Nothing that I've done. This is my sixth rodeo. Nothing that I've done has happened overnight. Nothing just falls into your lap, you know. It's just not for me, at least. It's all the fruits of hard work and never giving up. Although sometimes it's it's tough. Um, When we listen, when we started this ten years ago, everybody told me that there is no chance in hell that a couple guys from Israel, from all places, that have never had automotive industry ever ever in the in the past would be able to build trucks for the american market and we should not even try bother trying because it's destined for disaster right well we we did you know it's it's you have to just be persistent not let go. Never keep take your eyes off the prize. Um, and, and 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 I think the last thing is oh, interesting. It's <laughs> it might contradict. It doesn't, but for some it might. I mean, you have to be all heart and soul if you want to make it happen, right? You have to give everything you've got, but you can never ever let your feelings run what you do hmm. yeah i think that's a good i, I mean I, I definitely see how you could see on, on the surface contradicts but i think yeah i think there's something deeper there and i think that's, that's a good place to leave it, a good kind of thought to think about heading heading out here so, so uh yeah th- then i really appreciate you coming back on it's great to see the progress that reed's been making excited about where, where you guys are heading and uh yeah really wish you and and read the best of luck Thank you. Thank you, Brandon. And looking forward to our next one. Have a good one. Thanks. 
Well, there you have it. Hope you enjoyed that round two discussion with Daniel Burrell. So what stands out? To, two, two things I'll highlight. So the first is strategic, right? So re, the company's about the re-corner. Re that's that's the IP, core IP, the innovation. That's the thing that differentiates re from other in this space, others in the space. And as Daniel talked about when he joined back the first time, and then we talked about here too, their model is... They want to complete, not to compete. They don't want to necessarily be an OEM who's competing with the big players in the space. They want to provide a technology that can be utilized kind of across the board for different companies working to electrify their, their vehicles. Now they're launching a vehicle. And we talked about why that's the case, right? And that's not necessarily contradictory to the long-term plan even if they eventually are just going to be a provider of recorners to other OEMs, this is the path to do it. You have to go make money. You have to prove the technology in the real world. And this is the fastest way to get this technology on the road, right? And the, I mean, there's a ton of complexity. There's other things that go into it, but it seems to make sense from the outside. And it's, it's interesting, cool to, cool to be able to talk with Daniel about this and interesting to see how it's, it's playing out. The other thing I, I really enjoyed and took away from this conversation was kind of the, the crisis management and handling of obstacles, right? They faced some interesting stuff over the last year and a half, things I'm not envious of, right? And um, again, I guess a lot of us are facing market conditions, the big picture stuff of supply chain challenges that have starting, starting to settle down, but um, high interest rates and the pandemic fallout, which is still in work, and then that the war in Israel is, that's, they're, they're team members, the headquarters, like that, that's core to Reese's business, right? And, and it's, it's so interesting getting Daniel's perspective on how he and Re approach these situations and the attempt and the, the effort to you know, sit back, assess the situation detach, remove emotion from the from the, the situation and make sense of it all and uh, define a path, go forward and continue kind of churning, churning and kind of charging along. And uh, I don't know, it's, just, it's, it's hard to empathize directly with the situations that Daniel and, and Ree have been in, but it's, it's universal and it's, it's great to the, the underlying principles and fundamentals are universal here. So it was great, great to get his thought here. And uh, I don't know, I re really enjoyed the discussion. I enjoyed having Daniel to get an update and dive deeper than we were able to in, on the first discussion. Hope you got something out of this. As always, really appreciate you listening. And there's more to come next week. Thank you for listening to the Future of Mobility podcast brought to you by Edison Manufacturing and Engineering. If you have a need for a trusted manufacturing partner for low volumes of highly complex products, then please visit us at edison-mfg.com or feel free to shoot me a note directly at brandon.bartnick at edison-mfg.com or visit my LinkedIn page, Brandon Bartnick. Edison specializes in build and assembly of highly complex products in annual volumes of 10 to tens of thousands, utilizing an agile and capital light approach. If you're making an impact in the mobility space, we'd love to help. Until next time, thank you for listening to the Future Mobility Podcast.